You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Okay, everybody, we're in a series called Hope for Strugglers. We're talking about uh, the book of First Peter. We're drilling down and talking about that this, uh, this uh, winter as we get started with this new year. And uh, one of the things we like to do at Bayshore sometimes is just kind of drill down and look at a book understand it better so that when you read the Bible for yourself, which is one of the big goals of Bayshore, that people are self-feeders. They learn to read the Bible for themselves. So we like to give some background sometimes, do a little series on a book so you understand sort of what the book's about so you can kind of like find out what the Bible's about for yourself. So this is like the third week that we're talking about this. First Peter, of course, was written by uh, Peter. And we're going to do the first three verses today. We've been kind of, you know, playing around with the overview of the book. And today we're going to look a little bit more in first chapter. And so we're going to do the first three verses today to talk about that. There's some interesting stuff in 1 Peter uh, and uh, some really, you know, kind of like complex things we want to talk about a little bit, but things that are encouraging to us. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, uh, first of all, you know, we talked a little bit about this book. This book was written by uh, Peter. Peter was one of those disciples of Jesus, and he calls himself in this book, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, you know, he's, uh, he's not a disciple anymore. He's an apostle. Uh, have you ever thought about what's the difference between a disciple and apostle? What is an apostle versus a disciple? Well, when you read in the Gospels, they were disciples. When you get into the book of Acts, those, those 12 important men become apostles. And uh, somebody said an apostle was a husband of an epistle. That's not right. It's something else. Um, an apostle is somebody that's been sent as a messenger. Been sent as a messenger. Now, a disciple is a learner, someone that's learning. You know, disciple, the word disciple is the Greek word mathetes. It means to be a learner. And so they were learning in the Gospels, but now they are commissioned to go in and to do something special into the world. And here's the thing about Bashor, here's the thing about you, here's the thing about us this year. You know, we've been disciples, we've been learning. But God wants to graduate us from just learning and graduate us to doing, where we are becoming essential servants of the Lord in our community where we're doing something. So God has something for you to do. God has a mission for you. God has a plan for you. And so Peter didn't say a disciple. He didn't stay just listening, but he became a doer. 
And he became a messenger of Christ. And, and when we talk about Peter, an apostle, um, now here's the message the apostles had. We have the 12 apostles. Of course, Judas, you know, was out of the picture. And then they chose Matthias, another apostle. But here's the thing about the original apostles. Now, I believe they're still apostles. But the original apostles had a special, unique mission. And their mission was that they were witnesses eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, that they saw Jesus being raised from the dead. And, and they, it says in chapter 5 of uh, 1 Peter that, that Peter was a, a witness of the resurrection of Christ. So when you look at uh, the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians says, our faith is built upon the foundation, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. What does that mean? It means that we are following Jesus based on solid evidence that we have 12 people that are witnesses of his resurrection. And when they chose the new uh, apostle to take Judas's place, we remember Judas hung himself and got all messed up. They, uh, when they replaced him, what was the qualification? The qualification was that this new apostle would be someone that walked with Jesus from the day he started his ministry and that that person saw the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm sitting in the University of Delaware in sociology class, and the Dr. Nice asked me, uh, you know, he knew I was a Christian, so, you know, that Christians sometimes are pointed out in, in uh, secular settings, and he knew my faith and all that. He said, Danny, is there any empirical evidence that Jesus is real and Jesus was raised from the dead? So, you know, 29 heads turned to look at me. And I said, absolutely, there's empirical evidence that Jesus is real and he's been raised from the dead. Because there are living witnesses that the living witnesses that during his time that saw him. And then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that over 500 people saw Jesus at one time. And, G, and, and, and Paul said when he wrote 1 Corinthians, many, he said, many whom are still living to this day. So if you want to go check it out, there's people in Paul's day said, you go check it out, there's all these people that saw Jesus alive. And I said, Dr. Nice, how do you know George Washington existed? Well, he said, this is a sociology class, not a history class. But anyhow, I don't know. <laughs> well, how do we know George Washington existed? How do we know he was real? Well, we know he's real because there's people that walk with him. There's writings that he produced. And there's witnesses of his presidency. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's important to have apostles. And so your faith is not built upon, I hope it's true, I just hope it's true, I, I just, oh my goodness, let's just hope it's true, but Christianity is built upon the foundation of the apostles and Peter and apostle Jesus. He's apostle Jesus because he walked with Jesus. He just didn't walk with Jesus, he walked with him on the water. He saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. And when you read the New Testament... The New Testament, the, you know, the earliest book in the New Testament, most scholars believe, written was Mark. And Mark was this, you know, young guy from Jerusalem that followed Peter around. And he's in Rome, and he's listening to Peter preach about Jesus' life. And he writes down the stories of Peter. And the Gospel of Mark is Peter's witness that Christ is real. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is, you know, he's the real deal. And then he says... Uh, to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, and then he names these people, these places, 
uh, Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. How many have no idea where that is? Just say, just raise your hand. I have no idea where Cappadocia is. I have no idea where Bithynia is. Well, we're going to help you. Here's a map here. Here's a map. And the map is going to be on the screen. There it is. And you look in the middle there. You see the Mediterranean Sea. That's called the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And then you see that little section, Asia Minor. You see the Black Sea at the top? The Black Sea, right under that, is where all these places were. So if you were to go on the other side of the Black Sea, what would you find? On the other side of the Black Sea is Ukraine, where the war is going on right now. So these believers that Peter is writing to are on the south of the Black Sea, and on the other side of the Black Sea is the Ukraine. And that is modern-day Turkey now. So that's where it was. Now, Peter wrote to them. He wrote specifically to them. He wrote specifically to people that had a certain location, and they were maybe churches that he had planted or maybe Christians he had met after he left Jerusalem and traveled around. We don't know what the relationships was, but he had a relationship there. But the point is the letter was written to specific people. And he had specific people he was called to minister to. And you this year have specific people you are called to minister to. Specific people you're called to minister to. Listen to this. I may have said this in the first week of the series. I can't remember. But here's something I want you to remember. Uh, nobody's called to minister to everybody. But everybody's called to minister to somebody. Nobody's called to minister to everybody. But everybody's called to minister to somebody. So this year, who are you called to minister to? God has somebody for you to minister to this year. God has somebody in this community that you're supposed to be taking out to lunch, spending time with, encouraging them. Uh, somebody, maybe God's got somebody in this community that you're here to, to counsel this year, to encourage. I was coming in to do, I do a pre-recording on Thursday uh, of this talk because in case something goes wrong with them, we, we have a backup. And so I'm doing my recording and I was coming in as I was coming in, one of our small group leaders that had led a, was leading a ladies ministry was leaving. And there was two ladies that came out from the small group, uh, ministry and they were, their faces were just glowing. They were so excited. They'd just been to this, this small group and the leader of the group came out and I got to talk with her a little bit. And I just thought, boy, it's so exciting to see at Bayshore people ministering to each other. People not just disciples, but apostles that are doing something. And so everybody is called to minister to somebody. Nobody's called to minister to everybody, but everybody's called to minister to somebody. Say it with me. Nobody is called to minister to everybody, but everybody is called to minister to somebody. I was at the hospital one day. Many of you have heard this story. I told it, I've told it for years. I was at Nanticoke Hospital one day doing a visit. It's not Nanticoke anymore. It's Tidal Health, I think. But I was at, uh, going down the hallway to minister a lady in her church and visit her in the hospital. She was sick. And I went and did a nice little prayer, for her, a nice pastoral visit, and read the Lord's Prayer to her or said the Lord's Prayer with her. didn't stand on the breathing tube. It was all good. I did a good thing. And uh, I'm leaving... And I'm coming down the hallway, and I'm on my way to my car, and I'm a task in person. I'm type A. I, I check the boxes off. I love to do what I'm doing. I love to be with people, but I have an agenda every day, and that's just how I'm wired. And I'm going down the hallway, and I'm headed toward my car. I'm trying to get back to the church office. I had a meeting or something. And I remember walking down the hallway, and I walk by this door. When I walk by this door, it's like 
the Lord grabbed my coat and wouldn't let me keep going. And I, I felt like the Lord just said, stop. And, you know, being the man of God that I am, I just kept walking, dragging the Lord down the hallway. Because <laughs> I got stuff to do, you know? So, I, I mean, I'm dragging the Lord down the hallway, and he's pulling harder. And I mean, I'm, my heart's beating, and there is something wrong. So finally, I turned around, and I went back to this room. And as I got to the room, I walked in the door, and there was one man, elderly man, laying uh, on a bed. He was in the room by himself, and I went up to him, and I introduced myself, and he said his name was Buddy. And I said, hey, Buddy, what are you in here for? What are you going through? And he pulled back the sheet of the bed uh, cover, and he showed me that his leg had just been amputated that morning from, uh, I guess he had diabetes. And he was so discouraged. He was so down. He was so overwhelmed. And I pulled up a chair, and I began to talk to Buddy and prayed with him. We ministered to him. We started a friendship. I started to see him when he went home, and we had this uh, wonderful connection. But that moment, God had called me to minister to that man. Not because I'm anything special. You know, you, know, you don't have to be anybody special to help somebody. You just need to have a loving face and a listening ear and take their hand and pray for them and stand with them in the faith. And God will do miracles through people that will just take time to be with other people. Can you say a big amen? amen. And so God has somebody for you to minister to this year. Paul, Peter said, to the believers of Bithynia, Cappadocia, Pontius, these are the people I am called to minister to. Uh, and I was, this week we had our, uh, my men's group on Tuesday, and uh, we were studying the book of Acts. We're in chapter 8, where, where uh, Philip, the uh, deacon who had become an evangelist, he's preaching in Samaria. He's in Samaria, and all these people are, are getting saved. And, I mean, it's an amazing thing, this kind of like really uh, sort of, a, you know, kind of a controversial area. There's this racially mixed people, mixed people the Samaritans. And Peter, is, or Peter and John aren't there yet, but it's, 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 it's just Philip the evangelist preaching, this young guy preaching the gospel, and he sees all these people saved. And then the Lord says, I want you to go down to the desert road. I want you to leave this big revival. I want you to leave all these people. I want you to leave all the excitement. And I want you to go down to the desert road, and he goes down the desert road that runs along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and there's one man one man that's in a chariot, it's really probably an ox-drawn cart that he's in. He's the financier for the queen of Ethiopia. And he's a seeker. He's hungry for the Lord. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip comes up to him and preaches the gospel to him. And the man gets baptized on the spot. Philip was called to minister to that man. Let me just say this to all my pastor friends, and I say it to myself. God just doesn't care about crowds. God cares about people. Bayshore wants to always be a church that cares about individual people, not just crowds. How many know crowds are exciting, and I love crowds. I love them. I love them. But let me tell you something. God just doesn't care about the crowd. He cares about people. He cares about individuals. And some of you came here today. There's somebody that came here today. You feel like you're lost in the crowd. God doesn't know about you. God does know about you, and he does care about you, and he does have a plan for your life. So 
So, Peter, an apostle, called to minister to the people of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then we get into the dicey stuff. To God's elect, to God's elect, and then it says in verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. To God's elect, and that is the part that, you know, boy, that's interesting. That's a word that's used 22 times in the New Testament. And it means that God chooses, God chooses people that are going to follow him. And uh, boy, that's a tricky one because when you think about that whole idea, and I used to think, I was raised Methodist, I was raised Arminian, and so I pretty much like avoided all that stuff. And here's what we did when we, taught, we saw the concept of the elect in, uh, in, in the Bible. Here's something that, that we have to watch out for. And this is important for us to remember this. When there's something in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable, we should not try to explain it away. And I was raised that when you saw something that didn't fit into our theology, we tried to explain it away. But this says that God chose these people. And, you know, so there's this tension in the Bible. There's this tension in the New Testament. So being you're reading the New Testament through, let me just tell you about it. In chapter 9 of Romans, it talks about God choosing Jacob but not choosing Esau. So you have those things in the Bible. Then you have uh, Romans uh, chapter 10 where it says, Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you have these two ideas that are in Scripture. So when you read the Bible, be careful not to explain it away. But listen to this. Learn to live with the tension of the mystery of God. Because I don't know how that works I know that God, you know, honors people that call out to him, but there's this idea that he chose us from the foundation of the world. When you got saved and you came to Christ, and how many remember that day? Just raise your hand. How many remember that day? When, when you received the Lord, the Lord didn't say, wow, thank the Lord. He wouldn't say, thank the Lord. He is the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. He knew, he foreknew. He foreknew. So here's the thing. There is a mystery about the grandeur of God. There's a mystery about the greatness of God. There is the idea of election. When I was, uh, you know, in sixth grade, uh, I went to Frederick Douglass uh, Elementary School in Seaford. Uh, that school just had its 100th anniversary, by the way. I went uh, on a tour of the school. Karen and I went over there because we both went there when we were kids and walked through the school. And I was in Mr. Shepherd's class. I don't know how many people were in the school. Uh, it was fifth and sixth grade when I was there. But on the first day of school, the, the Mr. Shepherd came to me and said, uh, I am in charge of selecting the persons that are going to put the flag up every day in the schoolyard and take it down every afternoon. And he said, Danny, I want you to be one of those people. Now, I don't know if he looked at me and he thought, there's a smart kid right there. <laughs> or if he thought, that poor little kid needs something in his life. I don't know what he did. But he chose me. And he chose this other boy out of the whole school. Put the flag up. 
and I learned how to fold it right. I learned how to work it up right. I knew how to, to put the flag, to, you know, fold it and, and put it up in the morning and then fold it up at night. And I was selected for a purpose. And here's the thing. Paul is writing to people that feel extremely rejected, extremely isolated, extremely, you know, their self-esteem is on the floor because they've gone through so much difficulty. And God is saying to these people, listen, doesn't matter how rejected you feel, doesn't matter how ostracized you feel in community, God himself, the God of the universe, has chosen you before the foundation of the world. So learning to live with a mystery, God said to Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah, he said to Jeremiah, before you were even born, before you were even born, here's what it says, and it's on the screen in front of me, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, I want you to say this right now. I want you to say this. Say this with me right now. Before I was even born, God had a plan for my life. I believe in free will, I believe in election, I believe all of it sort of comes together somehow, but I do not believe the gospel is like you hear a good salesman, somebody tells you the gospel, and then the really smart people say, yep, I see it, I'm going to do it. And, and, and if, if that is how we're saved, that is not grace. Grace is, grace is when there's nothing in us that seeks God, and that's what when you think about where these people that believe in election, where that get that, is they get that from Ephesians chapter 2. They just didn't like make that up. They get that out of Ephesians chapter 2, where Ephesians chapter 2 says that before we met Christ, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. Before you met Christ, you were dead in your sins. You were dead. Now, here's what that means. Imagine, here's a morbid thought. Imagine somebody in a coffin up here. You got somebody in a coffin. You got the lid open. And you go, listen to this, you go to Garato's and you get a large cheese pizza. And how many, let me just get this out of the way right now. How many people, you are Grotto pizza people. You love Grotto's. Raise your hand. How many are Nicola pizza people? There you got some of those. How many, you just love any kind of pizza. Just raise your hand. That's you. Okay. Okay, Karen and I went to Nicola's, the new Nicola's a couple weeks ago. We, don't, we were pretty much Grotto's Pizza. Really had a great experience. It was fun. Food was great. The new one on Route 1. But if you take a cheese pizza from Grotto's or Nicola's or your favorite pizza, you put it on the lid of that casket and you got a dead person inside. You got something. You open the lid and the fumes of the pizza is coming in toward that coffin. How many know they're not going to do anything? How many know I'm telling you the truth now? You may not agree with everything I said, but you know that's true. And I think the gospel is such that we are so dead in our sins when we, the gospel is right around us, we can't respond unless the Holy Spirit and God's grace comes and envelops us and awakens us to the truth of the gospel. And that's happening today, even as we preach. The Holy Spirit is awakening you to respond to the gospel. So when I was a young Bible student in seminary and all that, I, I went to one of my professors. I said, I don't, I don't understand, you know, election versus uh, 
versus free will. I don't understand how that works. And here's what he said. I thought it was a good answer. He said, we can only bring those two truths so close in our minds. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you're going to be a Christian and you're going to really follow the Bible and you're going to read the Bible, first of all, don't try to explain things away that you don't like. Secondly, learn to live with some mystery. Learn to live with some things that you don't quite get yet or you quite, don't quite understand. So, because, you know, Karen and I, we, we go to Panera Bread. I love Panera Bread a lot. Uh, because I get the uh, teriyaki chicken rice bowl. I love that. I've been there, I've been to Panera Bread probably 15, 20 times in the last two months. And what have I ordered every time? The teriyaki chicken rice bowl. It's amazing. And I beg them, never take this off your menu. I love it. If you haven't had it, don't finish the sermon. Leave right now, get in your car and go get one. <laughs> but the thing about, the thing about, uh, Panera bread is, I always drink water. You know, I'm not going to drink calories, you know, in my drink. I want to drink water and I need to drink more water. So I always drink, order water. When you go to Panera bread, you order water. They give you that little cup right there. (laughs) Now, Karen gets iced tea. She gets this cup. But they give me this cup every time. And it bothers me. Because, you know, you have to go back and back, get your water, you know. You, I drink a lot of water. I'm not drinking. So I, I was there the other day, and I don't know. I shouldn't have said it. I was, I was, I was just playing, but I, I said she gave me a cup. I said, is there a chance I could get a smaller cup? I asked her that. <laughs> Karen said, she elbowed me. What? And the, I stunned the girl. Like, she was like thinking, do we have smaller cups, you know. So this is what you're going to get. Our capacity to understand the mysteries of God is very small. We don't have this capacity. We have a small capacity. And just because you don't understand it, just because it doesn't come together in your mind, doesn't mean that it's not powerful and it's not true. Because there's something, there's something, I have learned this, I'm learning this. When I am going through a hard time and there are things I cannot control, I don't need a little God. I need a big God that's full of mystery, a big God that has a plan, a big God that knows what he's doing. I need a gigantic God that's too much for me to comprehend. Romans 11 says, uh, if I can find it here, Romans 11 says, here it is right here. Thank you for pulling it up so quick. I love this verse. I love this verse. And this is a verse, if you don't underline any other verse in your Bible, underline this one. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. 
I looked up the word this morning in the Greek, unsearchable, and it means after researching and investigating, you cannot figure it out. After researching and investigating, you cannot figure it out. Listen to this. There are some things you cannot figure out in this world, but God is great. He's bigger than you can imagine. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He selected you. He loves you. He knows the, everything about you. He knew, you know, he knows everything about you. His foreknowledge. He chose us in his foreknowledge. There's nothing that happens to me that he doesn't already know about. And when I go through something, you know, God is not, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. God knew. He foreknowledge. He has all foreknowledge. He sees all into the eternity in the future, in the eternity in the past. He sees the present. He sees everything. So therefore, he knows the plan that he has for me. He knew when Tyler Huntley jumped. Last Sunday, in the Ravens game, when he jumped to try to get into the end zone, he knew he was going to fumble before he did. I didn't know it. It upset me a lot. <laughs> but he knows everything. Say this with me. He knows everything about me. He knows what's going to happen, even before it happens. Peter's re- he's, he believes in a God that calls the elect, the chosen. He believes, this is the the simple fisherman. This is not the deep theological, this is not the theological mind of Paul. This is the simple fisherman's theology. That God chose him. I couldn't find that in your Apple Music library. (laughs) Sometimes a smart watch helps me preach. (laughs) Yesterday I uh, I was hunting. I was in a blind I was in this plastic blind that a good friend of mine let me use. And I'm just sitting there, you know, enjoying the view, relaxing. And uh, I don't know what time in the afternoon it was, maybe 4 o'clock or a little bit of 4. All of a sudden, all of these birds, these, uh, there must have been, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, there must have been a couple thousand blackbirds. And they're probably not called blackbirds. They're probably like snowbirds or something. But they were dark in color. That They were all around the blind. And I could hear them. They were so loud. And they, they landed. I was in a cornfield. And they landed all around the blind I was in. And listen to this. There were so many of them, it looked like the ground was black. And I just, I just looked around. I could see these birds everywhere. It's amazing. And... I thought, I want to get a picture of these birds. So I started to unzip my little camouflage fanny pack. <laughs> and as soon as I started unzipping it, they heard it, and they just all took off. I said, oh, man, I miss the birds. It's one of those days. It's an electronic day for us, all of us. But you know what the Lord said to me? As I was sitting there, and I needed to hear that yesterday. He said, they were here trying to survive, trying to get things off the field. They were trying to feed. They were going through their routine survival mode. And you were there all the time, and they did not even know you were there. And you were there all the time. 
and they didn't even know you were there. And you're going through your life, and you're going through your stuff, and you're going through raising your kids, and you got trouble with, with family members, you got trouble with some of your adult children, you got trouble with your work, you got trouble. There's things, there's uncertainties in your life, and there's things, how about this? Have you got some things in your life that won't budge, things that you just cannot change, you cannot fix? I got some things like that. I cannot change them. I can't, I can't, it doesn't matter how much I try. I can't change. It doesn't matter how much I pray. I can't change this certain realities in my life. And I'm just going, I'm like those birds. I'm just going through my life. I'm just going through and I'm trying to survive. I'm going through and he's there all the time. And he's there for you all the time. He's with you all the time. And when Peter writes, these, writes to these believers that are in a world of hurt, they're in times of great persecution. He said, you, you've been chosen from the foundation of the world. You don't, God's mind selected you. You're infinitely valuable to the Lord of the universe. It doesn't matter if the whole village persecutes you. God selected you, and, and you can walk in the confidence that he knows everything. You don't have to know everything if he knows everything. And he is a God who knows everything. And we want to know everything, and the problem is we will never know everything. We'll never be able to get the Rubik's Cube just perfect of a life. We're going to have some things in our life that we don't understand, but God is at work in all of those things. I'll close with some of you have heard me tell this story many times about one of my favorite historical figures is Corey Tim Boone. Corey Tim Boone was... Uh, this, you know, woman that uh, she was a little girl that grew up in Holland. Her father had a uh, clock shop, and during the persecution of the Jews in Holland, you know, they, they hid uh, Jewish people in the clock shop, and they put their, you know, they, they would hide them there, and eventually they were caught. And uh, Corey and her dad, Papa Boone, and her sister Becky, uh, Betsy, ended up in, uh, in the, the death camps, the Nazi death camps, and her, her, her father, Papa Boone, died. Her sister, Betsy, died, but she survived. And she traveled around the world after World War II and after all that horrible things, and she taught about God's grace and God's sovereignty. And she said, she said, our life is like the back of an embroiderer. When an embroiderer is embroidering a picture, on the back it looks like absolute chaos. There's nothing but knots, and there's strings, and there's, you know, confusion. And he, she said, that, that's what, she said, Corey said of herself, that's what my life is like. Chaos and just confusion, and it doesn't look like it makes any sense. And then she would give this talk, and then she would flip it over. And when you flip it over on the other side, the embroiderer was making a crown. Something beautiful and something with such beauty. And God is a God 
that is so majestic in his understanding and so grand in his understanding of all things that he takes your life and he's working in your life and all you can see is the chaos. All you can see is the confusion. But one day you'll be able to see and flip it over that he was always at work making something incredibly wonderful. I want you to say this before we have our final prayer. I want you to say this. God is bigger than I realize, wiser than I can comprehend. He's always at work, even when my life doesn't make sense. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. And first of all, the Bible says in John chapter 6, no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him, except the Father draw him. Each of our conversions, like the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was not seeking the Lord when he went to Damascus. He was angry at the Lord, and he was against the Lord, and, and the Lord confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, and he had this incredible encounter. The Lord sought Saul out, and some of you are here today, and you've been running from the Lord, and Saul, you're like Saul, running from the Lord, and the Lord's seeking you out, and today is a moment where he's drawing you to himself. And it's not about you like uh, coming forward to make a preacher happy after 20 verses of just as I am. It's a matter of you bowing the knee of your heart to the God of the universe and say, Lord, be my Lord, be my master, be my king. So Father God, right now, as we pray over this congregation, we know there's people receiving the Lord right now. If you're here today, I want you to, if you want to receive the Lord and you know that you haven't been walking with the Lord, you haven't been serving the Lord, just before God, I want you to just lift your hand up and say, Lord, I'm coming to you right now. Just lift your hand up and say, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And I want you to say this. Let's all say it together to help our friends as they receive the Lord. Let's say it together. Let's say this. Lord Jesus, you've always known me. You've been drawing me. And today I surrender to your loving woos. I receive you as my Lord. You died for my sins. You've been raised from the dead. And now I am filled with the power of God to be a new person. Thank you, Jesus, for people that are receiving you right now by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing. I speak a blessing over everyone here today as we start this new week. doesn't matter what chaos we encounter. You are big and you know our lives, and you're with us, you're with us, and you're taking care of us. We pray your blessing on us, and we thank you, God, that we are chosen to be a part of your kingdom, that we're not outsiders. We may feel like outsiders in this world, but we're not outsiders when it comes to your kingdom. We're insiders, and we thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.